I'm Rebecca Lair. And I'm Amy Choi, and we are the Mashup Americans. You know, I feel like the more conversations we have, the more we learn about how people can define their mashiness. And it's not always the identifiers that you can see or the ones that you would assume. Actually, it's it's often the ones that you wouldn't even guess at that define you the most. Yeah, and also the kind of com- the combination of them, right? The combination of hyphens and identifiers that is what makes you unique and it's so particularly interesting. So I think for me, the fact that I have family on both sides of my family all around the world, we're also three or four generations of us live in the same neighborhood in L.A. So it's like it's both hyper local and totally global. So I can go a mile to my one grandma's house and then fly around the world to another. And that's both of them are totally who I am. Yeah, family structure is so important. Well, our guest today, Fatima Ashgar, also claims an identifier about her family that you can't see. Me being an orphan is something that permeates everything about me, you know, and it's like permeates everything about my entire construction of the world. And yet it's like the one that's like kind of in some ways the least talked about. Fatima Asghar's star is on the rise. She's not even 30, but she's published two books, produced a massively successful web series, and has been featured on the Forbes 30 Under 30 Hollywood and Entertainment list. Yes. Well, we first learned about Fatima when we came across her Brown Girls web series that she created with fellow Brown Girl Sam Bailey. It stars Brown Girls, obviously, but it also centers queer identity and explores the idea of home. It's so good, so good that they are developing it into a full-blown TV show at HBO, a la Issa Rae and Insecure, who they cite as one of their major influences. I would like to do anything a la Issa Rae. Mm-hmm. Or just, maybe we could just become Issa Rae. I don't know. I'm trying. It's an aspiration. Yeah, aspiration. it really is. In addition to her work, she's built an incredible community of artists and chosen family. She's the daughter of Pakistani and Kashmiri immigrants and an orphan who was raised in a big extended family. Because her parents died so young, her idea of home isn't a place, but a feeling. I feel the most at home when I don't have to explain myself, where I don't have to kind of like explain different identities or who I or who I am in that way. And they kind of just get it. Like, I think a lot of the people who who I really feel at home around, I've kind of morphed into like my chosen family. What sort of can you have any memories of the first time I'm thinking in teens, but who knows when you are like, oh, these these are my people, like the chosen people. You're, cho- you're chosen people. I'm like the chosen people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I think that, you know, when my, even younger than teens, when my parents first died and I, this aunt and uncle who are actually not my blood family, but are, you know, just by happenstance, like ended up in the same apartment complex as us and were like, oh, these girls are like by themselves and we're going to kind of help take care of them. There were, there was like, we got real, you know, we got really close and, and I was pretty young and there was just definitely um, a few moments in which I was like, oh, this is my family. Like, this is who I think of as my family. And then and then when I was like in eighth grade, they moved away. And so it was like a real moment of being like, oh, this is like we're a little bit of a team together, you know, and like we have this little like 
because they weren't my parents, but they were like also new to America, it kind of felt like we were like exploring what, and we were kids, you know, me and my sisters were kids. It felt like we were like exploring what it meant to be American together, what we, mm-hmm. what it meant to be in America. And then, and then it was gone. And I think in that kind of presence of like them not being there, I was like, oh, that was like my, that was like my, my, my people, you know, mm-hmm. um, and now they're not here anymore. So I've definitely had that at, at so many different moments. Like I did a lot of theater in, in high school, we used to go and compete with theater. And, like, you know, every time you're in a cast, you get just, like, really close to your folks. And you're like, they, these are my folks. And they're, you know, that's kind of it. And I feel like I've always been blessed to find, like, little groupings of people and family who, who really kind of feel like they are looking out for me. We talk a lot about kind of bringing your whole self to everything you do. Is a brown, queer, Muslim, is there... An identity that you have leaned into more at different points. like, um, And when you're sort of finding these communities, the ones that uh, there's the ones where you can be your whole self and there's sometimes ones where you're being your whole self. But one of those identities is the is the lead, the lead hyphen. Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting because I think that they all affect in such different ways, you know, like there there is just a way in which um, I even like, for example, like I think that like my orphaning, me being an orphan is something that permeates everything about me, you know, and it's like mm-hmm. permeates everything about my entire construction of the world. And yet it's like the one that's like kind of in some ways the least talked about because it's like family identity is not one that people often think about because they're like, oh, it's too personal or it's. Or they it, take it for granted. Yeah, or they, and I think that's it, is a lot of times people just kind of take that for granted. So they don't kind of don't understand that, like, a lot of families are shaped in different ways. And your family and your upbringing in terms of your family and how you relate to humans is, like, such a fundamental part of who you are. It just really depends on the space and kind of what the norm of the space is. I have two questions. Mm-hmm. One is, is that, you know, you have been kind of in, intentionally creating communities mm-hmm. through your life. Have you outside of your sisters sought out a community of other people who lost their parents when they were young? No, I haven't. I mean, I think that, you know, when I was in college and stuff, I would work and, like, volunteer at orphanages. And, um, you know, I work a lot with youth, and there's kind of a way in which I get really sensitive around their, their, you know, when something is going wrong and their personal or their family life and, and stuff like that. But I also just think it's interesting, like, you know, you kind of tend to attract, like, folks that are somewhat like you, especially when you're an artist and you kind of put out work. But I think that there's, like, a lot of friends I have that have, like, family issues or, um, you know, or we're mm-hmm. in kind of in and out of foster care systems or, you know, have these kind of um, different, I would say, relationships to family. But I haven't intentionally sought out building with with orphans um, who are my age. Right. It's, I I totally hear you on that because I feel like y- you attract people with similar baggage. I mm-hmm. certainly do. Like all of my best friends have were all, almost all first generation immigrants and all have similarly complex relationships with our families and our mm-hmm. elders. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, then then when you meet somebody that has less of that, you're like, what? Yeah, it's You're so best strange. friends with your mom? Yeah. What? <laughs> I mean, it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. But it yeah. is a thing that you're like, oh, wow, like that's a different. That's like a This is a whole other thing. world and yeah. a whole different way that people operate. Well, it's another way in which, again, we're also informed by our experiences. And then those are the assumptions we make about the world. And it's hard not to do that. Because it's all we know. Yeah. Until you start like living, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're like, ah, oh, huh. 
That's just, that wasn't everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think the other thing that, to go back to what you said about, you know, often the the most easily identifiable part of your identity is your race. Mm -hmm. And I think something that, you know, really that we found compelling with your Brown Girl series is that it's about brown girls, but it's not necessarily about Pocky girls Mm -hmm. or Muslim girls or, you know, and in of which in Chicago where it's set, there's a lot, there's a strong community there. Mm-hmm. How did the Brown Girl series kind of come to be like that? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's like all a lot of my friendships are are with women of color and queer people of color. Like that's just like the way that all like it is kind of the natural inclination of, of so much of my friendships and really kind of existing in these communities of color. And kind of I just feel like I never get to see that on screen. So it was this thing of just being like, huh, usually when you have two women of color in the same capacity on screen, they're often at each other. Like, you know, they're often like in conflict with each other or like you know fight like right. fighting for the same boy or the same job or kind of catty and whatever and that just felt so not like my friendships at all um and so it kind of was just the thing of just being like but this is what my friendships are like you know it's like i i see we're all friends like we're all you know we're all different but we're all friends and and that's just kind of the the natural progression of what i've always felt in my life and that kind of like active thing of being friends, you know, where you're just like, you don't even realize it, but you're like, yeah, I'm friends with people who all like are people of color, but we're all from different backgrounds. And like, that's like, that's just normal. Um, And so that it just felt like a very normal kind of thing in terms of the construction of the show, because that was that's like the construction of my life. What are your favorite shows right now? What are you watching that kind of inspires you and you feel excited about? I love Fleabag. Um, I love Atlanta. I love Legion. Um, so I kind of have a wi- I love Game of Thrones. I kind of have a wide um, of taste in what I what I really, really love. But usually it's around like characters I find compelling and, and story structure that I find innovative. We think about, you know, like well, we say it a lot that it's very, very hard to be something if you can't see it. You know, if you can't mm-hmm. see it, you can't be it. Not impossible. Just very difficult. Um, who did you see? growing up that made you think, okay, well, I can have this life. I can be a writer and a poet and a creator and uh, an academic fellow all at the same time. It was a lot of my friends. You know, it was like we were all young and trying to be artists together. And it was kind of this thing where I realized, like, I was um, I was just like, everything else makes me miserable. Like, you know, I kind of resent any time that I'm taken away from writing and that I'm taking away from creating something. Um, and so I kind of was like, OK, well, I don't know how to do this, but I'm just going to we're just going to try. But it really kind of came from like my friends who were my same age, who were in my same year, you know, who are a year above me, a year below me, who were kind of just like, cool, like we don't know how to do this, but we're just going to see. We're just going to kind of like go perform at open mics and go on these like Greyhound bus tours for like $50 a show and, you know, and sleep on people's couches and kind of just like figure it out. And so it really kind of existed there for me. It was actually in a really like hyper local world. It wasn't in a like, oh, I saw the celebrity and that made me think something. That's just totally not my my um, path in terms of that way. Um, and it was really just seeing these like young people of color kind of make things on their own terms and make make their own kind of paths of life and kind of pump money into each other, you know, and kind of self-sustain a circuit of money where we're buying each other's chapbooks and where we're paying each other to come perform in our living rooms, but then we're also getting paid by each other to go perform in their living rooms, you know, kind of keeping that money tight in those circles. 
I love that. I love the image of everybody in each other's living rooms. Mm-hmm. And also just paying each other the same money. Yeah, it's like <laughs> just really just a money easy. handover. Yeah. yeah. A Here's beautiful a, little circle. Just out of respect, you should always be paid. Here's $20. <laughs> yes. Next week you pay me $20. <laughs> Is there a place now where you see your experience reflected that is not something that you have made? Unfortunately, no, not quite yet. I mean, I think that there is moments or small slivers. Like I remember when I first saw the the ads for like Quantico and I saw Priyanka Chopra on like bus stops and I was like, I've never seen a South Asian woman on a bus stop, you know, and that was like really, really cool. But that's not my, you know, I'm not a FBI agent who's like, yeah, who's like, you know, wrestling with the world. Married um, to Nick Jonas. Yeah. Um, so there's like, there's like small moments of, and it comes in, in really different ways. You know, like I saw American Honey and I loved American Honey. That's not my experience, but I felt really seen in that, you know, so there's just kind of ways that I think you just continue to graft yourself onto things that you, um, that you love and that you feel con- emotionally connected to in certain ways. So I think that there's um, definitely small things like that. But in terms of like a holistic, like, is this thing a thing that completely gets me or completely sees me? I don't think so. But I think that that's very much a part of like the work of an artist is like, it doesn't matter even if like you have someone who has the exact same identity tropes as you, they're not you. And so they probably don't have the same outlooks to every single component of your life that you do. And you don't always feel reflected in their work. But there's also can be a drive there, right? Like that drives you to tell your story even more, tell the yeah, stories totally. you want to tell. Totally. Right? I mean, That's I part think of it. So, some, sometimes I think about when I see things that have like South Asian people who, where I, maybe I just like don't agree with or I just like feel my loneliness actually feels amplified because I'm like, wow, that's just yeah. so not my experience. That's usually a motivator for me to be like, I want to tell this story or I want to kind of do this thing in in a way where like what people kind of sometimes talk about like with like Sex in the City or something where they're like, yeah, there's just like no people of color on that show and that just made me feel really, really lonely and I wanted, I want like things that have, you know, where, where like women of color get to talk about sex and talk about whatever. I think that the, all of that is like so legit. It's like it can be a driving force or it can be a thing of like, wow, this is so beautiful and I really love it, but like I still don't see myself and so it's a it's a way of like opening a little bit more of the idea of possibility of what I can do in my art making. And also, I mean, I think as an I mean, a creative person, but not, I wouldn't say I'm an artist in any way, but there's a way. And also when my, it's not my story that's reflected, but rather the community around me or my world is, that's Mm -hmm. also really wonderful and exciting too. I mean, even in a silly way, but like, you know, to all the boys I've loved before, for me Mm -hmm. watching that, it's not like, oh my gosh, I'm a young Korean or Hapa Korean hapo girl who is a teen. Like there was a, that part of the story isn't, but there's the part that there's this like smart girl who reads, sure. But also just like that's that woman, Lara Jean, looks like my friends. Mm-hmm. And that world looks like my world and the way she interacts with her friends and her boyfriend or dreamboat McGee <laughs> is also reflective of the world I I live in and that moves me deeply. Yeah. In that, like, it, mm-hmm. it, again, it's not, that's not my story, but it's the story of my world. Right, right. And where, whereas, and I watch a story where there's just like only white people, and I'm like, this just doesn't, I don't even, I don't, what is this? It doesn't look yeah. like my life and the dynamics or the, like. You know what's so funny as you say that? And I'd never really thought about this before. And like, God bless John Hughes and his problematic 80s movies. 
in hindsight, but also all of those like uber white teenage movies that we watched because they were actually set in the suburbs of Chicago. I was like, oh, I know all of this. Totally. It does feel like my world. Totally. Now I look back and I'm like, Jesus. (laughs) What is that? But it is. But right. There is a way that that did reflect, like even just visually or the Mm -hmm. school dynamics, of course, not. Long Duck Dong. That right. Although, frankly, <laughs> the fact that there's only one Asian person in that school probably did reflect your experience. <laughs> like, I mean, I do think that there is something like that feels important too. That's yeah. Like seeing, there, to, to your point, Fatima, is there like there's different signifiers. Yeah. And there's mm-hmm. different ways you can either feel more alone or more connected into yeah. the thing. I mean, yeah. there's nothing, I think you're right, like nothing lonelier than trying to take in an experience or a cultural moment that on the outside should be for you and not feeling a part of it. And you're like, yeah. oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Like my outsiderness has just been it's been made in triplicate here. Yeah. <laughs> like, what it's is such going a, on? It's such a painful moment where you're like, wow, how like how did they how does this feel so wrong, you know? And, like, yeah. I'm being told that it's supposed to make me feel at home, and it really doesn't, you know? And I think that that's, that's just such a awful feeling, <laughs> but well, a motivating also one. Some, yeah, I mean, but there's something about that that, like, the work that you do and the work that we do feels so kind of, like, super important personally is that, like, you know, it's one thing to be like, oh, there's Lara Jean. Right. This like Korean girl going through the world with her sisters and yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. And then also also thinking like, oh, that's like when that's a singular representation, that's the only way to be a young Asian girl who is like gorgeous and petite and, you know, it's like, you know, like there's there isn't the wide array of representations. So like where are the fat Asian girls? Mm-hmm. Or like, where are the tall ones? Or where are the mm-hmm. ones that like, you know, like, don't excel? And it's mm-hmm. like, it, I feel like we're just starting to. My God, yeah, that's really interesting. I think, how do you get all the versions of? Yeah, and yeah. I mean, I think that cut people slack too. Yeah, I think that's part of the thing though. Is like, like you were saying, when there's just so much pressure, when like you have one movie every three years that has a South Asian. That's a South Asian movie or a South Asian story that is made and distributed. Like, the pressure is unreal because you have an entire diasporic community that's looking to something and hoping to feel represented. And what it is is a singular story of one person. You know, what it is is like a singular story of one character that's not perfect. And then everybody's, like, let down or feels a type of way or is expected to feel a type of way about something. And you're just like, that's not fair you know it's not fair to the creator and it's not fair to the whatever but it still is that feeling of like that I I often have to battle where I have to like have a conversation with myself and be like you can dislike someone's art like you can dislike someone's art who has your background and that's okay like or you could just just dislike that movie it doesn't doesn't have to be an entire art like their career as an artist that you dislike but I think that that's just such an important thing is like the pressures that are that we feel because there's just so few you know and then suddenly those things have such a burden of carrying everything and it's like often talked about as like the South Asian perspective or like the Muslim perspective or the whatever perspective and it's like no there is no the you know that that doesn't exist and so 
if we can kind of do away of that, then what we get is like a plethora of stories of, of people who mm-hmm. get to be failures, who get to be, you know, all of these different things and have a wide range of emotions. And that that doesn't have to be a stand in for an entire race that can be really thought about as a particular character. Right. How do you deal with that pressure? Like, I think about, you know, we have also enjoyed, like, watching the new uh, freshman congressional class of, of mm-hmm. like, women of color, mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, and people are stumbling. There are some real challenges there. And also we see a place where, like, you're like, oh, yeah, when when we say that we're going to be twice as good, like, we mean it. We come prepared. Yeah. We're doing the work. We're, like, trying to... Do you feel that when you're putting work out into the world? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think in general, I am a, like I just have a high bar for myself in, in general, like internally. And there's always a moment like right before I put something out where I'm like, I don't think we should put this out. Like maybe I should just not release my book. You know, like I, this is all trash. <laughs> and like we got just like, kidding. That yeah. Was like, joke. OK, we're not we're not doing this. So there's definitely moments like that that I have that I think just come from being an artist and being a particular kind of artist and like, you know, knowing the vulnerability that comes with putting out something in the world. And there's often a pressure I feel about, like, is this right or is it wrong or what does even right or wrong mean when you're de- to talking about fiction? You know, like why? why uh, where do we get off kind of having these ideas of right or wrong? And then there's also, I think, the elements that I feel of like representation or like are people going to be angry about this are they going to be mad that this story is like this or that this has a queer protagonist or or you know it's just all these kind of combinations of, of things of anxiety and something I try really hard to do is I try really hard to just shut that down you know shut it out of my head it's very 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 difficult and I feel like it's hard because you're always creating something and you're kind of almost always releasing like it's all happening at the same time you're always talking about work and, and stuff but um I, I kind of try harder to spend less time on social media, especially if I'm actively writing something, because I need that to be a space of what I actually want to say versus allowing, you know, perceptions or the idea of reception to kind of get into my head. So I try really, really hard to kind of shut that down. And also, I think that there's like a thing I think about, too, where it's like, you know, you're not I'm not trying to make work that's like on trend. I'm trying to make work that feels real and authentic to me. And that might mm. mean that it's not always received well or it's not always liked, you know? And I think that that's like, or it's like, it takes a kind of great deal of courage or bravery to say certain things. And and I could be wrong, right? Like I could be, I could think it like in a minute and then the next minute be like, oh, you know? And, but all of that is okay. And something, it's about being human, right? Is like the ability to be allowed to fail. What is then like, I mean, we, we, I mean, this is like our ongoing conversation that we're deep in right now, off air, <laughs> but thinking about like what success means. Yeah. You know, because I know you in lots of ways have had proximity to like the, some really kind of significant markers of success, right? So whether it's like going to Brown or, or being in the array class and being, you know, with, with uh, with Ava, or there's, mm-hmm. there's certain things where you're like these are these are things that are signifiers of success, pretty gl- yeah. of success to a lot of people, mm-hmm. and maybe even to yourself. Like that's that's part of my question, and I think so, one of the things is that Amy and I always talk about is like, you know, we want, of course, do we would we want everything to be huge, make a lot of money, and be exactly what we want it to be, <laughs> um, like in terms of the content, of course. But there's also some ways in which like that's not necessarily what 
what we're seeking in each realm of our work as yeah. the Mashup Americans or each realm of our lives. Like, And it's the constant checking in with ourselves individually and ourselves as a team to ask, like, what are we jealous of of that person or what does it really mean to us just separate from anyone else to be successful? So I guess my question is, like, in this moment, because I'm, sh- it's evolving, what does success mean for you? Yeah, I mean, this is the thing I grapple with a lot is like what it, that's that question, and I think it's different for every single project, right? Mm-hmm. To me, though, success like I had to kind of like take a moment and really think about defining it, and I think for me, it is there's that kind of three components that I think of as like when I think of something as successful. And one is like, did I show up and did I do my work and did I do it well, right? And then two, did I love my people? And three, mm. did I did I leave the kind of world or the thing that I was doing a, a slightly better or more just place, right? That to me is like at all moments when I'm asking myself, like, am I successful? Are th- Those are the three kind of calibers that I have. And then it's about scale, right? So it's like, the scale of it could be like a poem, or it could be like a conversation with a friend, or it could be like a protest, right? Or it could be like a big project, like a, a novel or a, a, a collection of poems or a TV show, right? And it's kind of about like, those are the centerpieces to me is like, because you know when you are on when you don't do your work well, you know when you're you're cutting corners, right? You know that about yeah. yourself. You you can feel it when you're just like, oh, I'm on autopilot right now. I'm doing the same tricks that I do because I know how to do them, you know. And you can really have that conversation of, did I show up and did I do my work and did I push myself and did I do it well, right? Two, did I love my people? Did I center my people, right? And sometimes loving your people means having hard conversations with your people, right? But did I do it? Did I do that? Did I come in the spirit of wanting to love my people? And then three, did I do the work that I needed to do in order to make the world a little bit more just, right? The world is so unequal and that's such an important thing to me. So did I do that? And and then everything else, that that to me is what I consider successful. And so at any point, if I ask myself that, there's probably one thing I'm not doing, right? And there's always like, I'm like, ooh, I, yeah, I probably should spend a little bit more time or energy on that. Like, And so that, I think, in terms of a life, when you're thinking about a holistic, successful life, that's what I think about is like, those are the components that I consider successful in terms of a life. That can be different you know, based on project, but whatever. But a lot of times, like, we focus so much on work and the kind of productivity of work. And I think it's also about, like, the larger being, you know, the larger self. Like, did did I show up for the people I love? Did I show up for my friends? Like, if I'm not living a life where I'm doing that, um, where I'm not showing up for the communities I care about with the people who I consider family, then I don't think I'm living a successful life, you know? Um, so it's kind of like I, I try to think of it as a holistic approach to things. That makes a lot of sense. I think... We're nodding vigorously. Yeah, I think there's a part for for me, and it it's connected, but I think about, like, what is success? Who do I need to think I'm successful for me? Whose recognition do I need? And that includes myself. Mm-hmm. And then also, what is a good life? And actually, in the way you're describing it, it's like, those are all one thing, not what is somebody else. So you, mm-hmm. you, you really didn't describe, which I love, anybody else's recognition. But for me, there's some point where I'm like, I don't need to, like, be the top of the charts for X thing. Or mm-hmm. I don't, that's not what I need. Mm-hmm. What I want is, like, Fatima, who I like her work, to be like, you guys are the shit. Yeah. You know, like, there's a mm-hmm. way in which the what that kind of recognition from people who I respect. Right. To think that we are excellent at what we do and to want to be 
great partners. Like so, I think in in the list of things, I might add a fourth, which are like, or, or it's related to the like, mm-hmm. how are you treating your people? Mm-hmm. Is yeah. part of that is how you build teams, yeah, and how you whether that's running a production or mm-hmm. partnering with whoever, the people that you work with, how you treat them. And mm-hmm. how you de- build relationships is like a huge marker of success. Yeah, and yeah. how you build really like the piece about loving your people. Like, how how do you have the host your friend in your living room? Yeah, yeah, you know, and like mm-hmm. invest, here's twenty bucks. Uh, <laughs> here's twenty bucks in the right. yeah, yeah, in, in the life deposit box. Yeah, right. totally. Um, right. Thank you so much, Fatima. It was a total delight. Yeah, thanks for having me. You know, we have been thinking a lot about how we define success. I think we're just in that place in our lives and careers. (laughs) Like, obviously for Fatima, she has those three really clear rules defined for herself. So, Amy, how do you define it? Well, I think, you know, uh, the the larger kind of philosophical, I just hit my microphone because I got so excited. I was swinging my arms around. But it's it's about service to others and living in a way that can help the world in whatever small way I can. I think that this is where the Jew in me really comes out, that idea of I don't know how to pronounce it. Tikkun Olam? Tikkun Olam. Tikkun Olam. Tikkun Olam. Yeah. That, you know, like we all have the capacity and the power to repair the world in some way. We we don't have to fix it all, but I want to use whatever time I have to fix what parts I can. Mm. And I, I mean, I want to have fun. I want to like live a great like life and go all around the world. And I, but I also want to be able to like look in the mirror before I go to bed and be like, okay, you did what you could. Totally. Somehow you're bringing it back to Ailua Arthur in our doula situation. What is Oh, my God. And our punishing (laughs) eulogies. Um, No, I think that's right. For me, I I think about, you know, every time we do a new project or do new work or build this company and tell, do mashup, like, I'm like, oh, my gosh, we got to elevate these stories or share these stories or share our concerns or help people feel seen, that feels huge. And also having certain people acknowledge sometimes, like, you know, I'm real about that too. Like, who do I need to acknowledge that this is good or it matters for me to feel successful? And mostly it's just our listeners. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But it's also like my parents, you know, or people I've worked with and and I, I check in with myself regularly. Like, does do I need like a big Instagram following? The answer is no. That's not success <laughs> for me. <laughs> right. But I respect right. that it is for other people. So you think it's it's shifting thinking about it a lot. Yeah. And also having a really cool kid that feels successful. To me. I know, but you know what my therapist would say. That's not that you. Didn't do not. that. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? She's wrong. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's all oh, we God. have. <laughs> But we have this season, and I think this season's been a success. I think so, too. We have talked to the most fantastic women, and every time I leave one of these recording sessions, I feel alive. I feel like this is what we were here to do. Yes, and we've gotten to talk about everything from, like, 
Hollywood representation to death to activism and service. I mean, this is the best way to spend our time. It is. So we hope you all loved it as much as we did. Um, tell us what was your fave? Who made you cry? Email us yo at mashupamericans.com. Do it. Because mm-hmm. the next episode is our last of the season and we are bringing you our live show from Chicago. We chatted with chefs Diana Davila and Jennifer Kim and heard from the hilarious comic Alex Cuman. I am though. I uh, it's weird. I, like I grew up in a really white suburb of Boston, uh, being like Lebanese Jewish. Like so, all that meant was that I was the only one of my friends growing the facial hair of a young Latino boy. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if this happened to anyone else, but fifth grade rolled around and my body was like. <laughs> Our producer is Kara Hart. The show is executive produced by me, Rebecca Lehrer, and her, Amy Choi, and the Mashup Americans Creative Studio. Thank you to Shelby Samlin for handling all of the booking for this show. Our theme music is by DJ Rob Swift with additional music by Alop Momin. Find us on social at Mashup American, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for listening. We'll be back in your ear soon. Bye. Bye.